to Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Good to be with you on a Balls Week Wednesday. Hope you're well. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Director Matthew here as well. All right, let's go back up to this question. Now, let's go back to the question that was asked before the break because I like it. Uh, where would Jordan <laughs> P. Simpson? Good, good one. Jeff's TV is larger than the Alamo. Yeah, it's at least probably it's, what? It's right there with it. Yeah, yeah. about the same size. I think I would have just given it. You guys can have it. Uh, so as far as the... Uh, we'll use it to protect us. <laughs> where would Jordan Travis, if he wins a Heisman and a national championship in 2023, where does he rank among FSU's all-time players, considering he helped rebuild also? You know, I, I got to tell you, I think you can even remove the Heisman. He wouldn't even have to win the Heisman. If this team puts up big numbers and um, because they have such an emphasis on the run and they have a deep collection of running backs and a depth at offensive line, if their primary way of moving the football is to run the football and that takes away from Jordan's passing yards in a way that doesn't really allow him to compete with some of the gaudy numbers that a Caleb Williams will put up in Lincoln Riley's office. He'll have to. Okay. So if something like that happens – and he's not really a Heisman candidate, let's say, or he, he, you know, he just doesn't have the numbers. But he plays exceptionally well, and they go eleven and one, and and win the ACC, and and then go to the college football playoff. I mean, I, that uh, that alone puts Jordan in a elite group, an elite group because he's helped bring us back. Is exactly right. Um, you're right, though. Stamping it with a national championship ups the ante put you in a group of uh, rarefied individuals. So, yeah, I, I, golly, it's tough. Um, there he, would be a, he'd be a top 10 all time. Unique quality to his career because what we saw from some of the players when Jimbo was, you know, obviously leading the way recruiting as the head coach and waiting, they changed rules and closed loopholes about access to recruits because of some of the successes we had directly. Like we look at LaMarcus Joyner and Bjorn Werner and Telvin Smith and Timmy Jernigan. and list goes on and on. It yeah. goes on. Chris Thompson. Rashad like some, Green. Some guys that weren't even there to finish the job, we look at them as those transitional guys that deserve all the you know praise in the world for helping get us from the lost decade to the national championship. Jordan might be the most organic of any one of those types of players in program history because what he did... Maybe Charlie, you could you could speak on that better than me. But every one of us, some more than others, Jordan taught a lesson to about what's possible, what can be changed by the time you're 19, 20 years old. Some of us thought there was no chance. Some of us thought he had a good chance, but still he could never be elite. If we get to this level, he will have taught every single Florida State fan a lesson about don't count don't count everybody out. You know, even kind of already has third year. He really has. But to the level that it would go, oh, the yeah. next step to a national championship. Yeah. Like, you talk about a one-player embodiment of a shift from the dark days to the pinnacle of the sport. Jordan would be better than even LaMarcus at something like that in terms of his legacy. He's already, yeah, you're right. And and he has already done something that now has certainly taught me a lesson. Like, I I probably more than anybody else, certainly on staff, was dismissive of Jordan as a, as a passer. I like Jordan. I thought... There was a a place for Jordan. There was a, a use for Jordan at quarterback. We could win with Jordan to a certain degree. But I thought for us to take the next big step, we were going to need a guy that could really throw it 
on obvious passing downs into tight windows from the pocket. You know, I thought he had to find a way to add that to his game. In my experience, given the evidence we had, I'd never really seen that done. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a fairly inaccurate thrower or that's not what your strength is, you don't end up being really good at it at some point a year later, you know, and he did that. He did that. He's, he went from, oh, he's not just, you know, he's appreciably better, but he's, a, he's better in a way that would, would have somebody who had never seen him play before. If you told them, look, that kid was a runner first and an average passer. He was a one side of the field kind of guy. And this is all we had. And now he can make all the throws. He's pre-snaps as well as anybody. And he has all those other elements that he already had with the legs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most people who you know watch football would say that that's very surprising. It is. It just doesn't happen. He's an outlier. He is truly an outlier. And good on him, man. It's something to celebrate. I, I, I don't ever say any of that with a bit of bitterness. I, I think it's awesome. Because Jordan was always likable. Jordan was always a likable kid. He was always a kid who... You know, you liked him for a lot of reasons. He had been largely overlooked. Um, he'd, he'd battled through injury. You know, he had a lot of injuries to deal with and, 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 and you know, maladies and things where you're like, man, is that kid ever going to get healthy? And, hell, he wasn't even thought to be the guy by the coaching staff. It's one thing for me, uh, just a, a guy who does a sports talk show, to give an opinion about what I think a player is. It's a whole other when you have a quarterback coach and a head coach who also didn't think he was all that unique. Hence the reason they brought in a kid who couldn't move his foot. I mean, they got Mackenzie Milton who had one leg. And that They were willing to go a whole other route because they didn't see it in Jordan. So that is an awesome story. That's a cool turnaround. He's overcome all of that. And if they were to go on this magical run this year, just think about it from our rival's perspective. Like They would say, are you kidding me? Yeah. Your program was dead. And then you found this nothing transfer from Louisville, who turns out to be a Heisman winner and a national champion, and that's what brings you back and puts you so far ahead of us again, is like that dude out of thin air, that would just be all the sweeter if we could finish the job. That would be all the sweeter. That I, would be that, and not Jameis Winston, the number one quarterback in the country that predictably did what he did. It's this guy out of left field. Yeah, Jameis, that 2013 season, when we talk about accuracy, arm strength, acumen, I mean, he was unreal, but he was also the number one rated quarterback in the country, and everybody wanted him, like you're saying, because they knew he projects that way. He projects as one of these unicorns, these guys that you see it and you go, whoa, he's going to be awesome, and then it happens. And they're, I mean, probably fair to say that uh, Arch Manning's going to be pretty good too. I mean, I, I'm going to guess that he fulfills his promise of being an accurate, talented, and good passer Boy, in college. What an Everest to climb, though. You've got Texas, which since Vince Young has always disappointed. Even when they got to the Natty title game, Colt McCoy gets hurt, and that made me weep a little bit inside. But they never live up to the expectations. And then here's Arch Manning. So could it be that Texas wins out and there's yet another chapter to the failures of that program? Or is Arch and the Manningness strong enough to overcome all of that? It's a great storyline from the Central Time Zone. Weird, too, because, you know, by selecting Texas, he 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 has to overcome all that stuff. He could, he could have gone a different route and never had to worry Correct. about all that. But, yeah. Could have gone to Alabama. But I also think that teaches you a little something about who he might be. 
Uh, he's betting on himself. Yeah, he's he, he's not real worried about it. You know, the more I think about the Florida game last year and what Jordan did, the more crazy it is. Like, every time I think about it, I, I don't know if in the moment we reflected on how much of a Superman he was, and even though we, we described it as such in the moment. Yeah, we did. You think about the NC State loss in that part of the season where there looked to be kind of a disconnect on the sidelines for Wake and NC State. Jordan makes the final mistake, but he didn't make the only mistake in that game. You think about an early fourth down conversion that Johnny just drops right oh, in his bread basket. Yes, yes. We're off and running and they never catch us in that football game. It never gets to a point where you second guess Jordan Travis decision making at the end. Ultimate team game, but we focus on the quarterback. Well, he's failed again by several receivers in the first half of the Florida game. Johnny, Cam, there was at least one other one, and I'm trying to think of who it was. Huge drops. I mean, ridiculous drops. Wide open plays. And he doesn't let that overwhelm him, and he takes over the game to the point where it comes all the way around, hits a deep shot to Malik, hits Johnny on that big third down late in the game, and then Trey Benton ices it with a touchdown. But that effort in that game took maturity and skill in a combination that I don't know that I've seen since I've lived here in Tallahassee. It took all of that, all of the skills he had as a thrower, as a runner, and as a mature quarterback in order to win that game pretty much single-handedly on offense. Yeah, he stayed very calm in the face of overwhelming adversity because we couldn't get a stop. <laughs> and he was being failed by his <laughs> targets left and right. Yeah. You could, in that moment, if you're not strong enough, say, wow. But those are the lessons learned from the three-game losing streak yep, that he yep. emerged from as a different quarterback and a different person and a different kind of leader. And it's also a testament to that growth that, again, we celebrate what he's become because – We've been able to watch these tangible steps forward after setbacks, after frustrations, after moments where you began to doubt where he could have too. Yeah, I think he has a lot of, obviously, a lot of belief in himself and his talents and his work, his work ethic. It helps to have a brother who was an all-world athlete too, who, you know, became a professional baseball player. I mean, you come from a family of guys that believe in themselves and work hard and, and put in the effort. They put in the work aren't, to be can't great. miss prospects out of high school. Right. I mean, Devin was a good player. He's at Florida State, but he wasn't thought to be a major leaguer yeah. on the level that he was before he got hurt. And I really wish he hadn't gotten hurt because he was emerging as an everyday player, a, a good one. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, Jordan, I said this before. I think if you just looked at him in the combine sense, if you if you put Jordan Travis at the combine tomorrow, right? he's there and we're, we're all watching the combine, I think – there would be a lot of people that would look at his skill set and go, I don't know. He's a smaller, more apt to injury, uh, mobile quarterback that is going to have to, because you, you can't bottle up that unique skill set that he has. So you're going to want to run him, but can you with that body type? Can you, okay, let's say you think you can't run him as much as you'd like to, and you can't take advantage of the fact that he can make miss guys missing a phone booth. Because you're worried about injury. Well, is he so uniquely gifted as a passer that you would overlook that aspect? No. No, he's not. He's a good passer. He's not uniquely gifted as a passer. So all of a sudden, my point is not to tear him down. Most, I think, GMs and coaches are going to find a problem with taking Jordan Travis high in the draft as a quarterback in the yeah. NFL. Yeah, like top 10, that kind of a thing. Sure. But sure. what I've learned with that kid and watching him and now having been proven very wrong, is don't, don't doubt him. I won't anymore. Lots of other people who haven't been here to document this will. 
But, you know, what I, do I think it's a long shot that he becomes a superstar quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I do. I, I, I don't think it's likely. Yeah, but I think the better question would be, Tom, does he become a starter for a team in the league and have a career as a quarterback? Like, you know, five to eight years as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Do you think that happens? I think the injury risk, and, and most any coach would tell you this anyway, but I think the injury risk is higher in the pocket than it is anywhere else for Jordan Travis. Yeah, he can control the situation. Yeah. He's showing, yes, and, and that gift is going to translate to the next level about making guys miss in a phone booth. It just is. Oh, yeah, and, no, he's always going to be able to make people miss until he gets broken down. Correct. But he also has shown a propensity late in last season to get down and, and avoid the contact. Yeah, he knew enough to get down. Yeah. Actually, that's why the ball was spotted at the one-inch line twice in the Florida game. Or else he'd have touchdowns. I still say one of those is a touchdown. I agree. But, I 100% agree. Yeah. Because it's there's no intent there. It's it's avoidance. It's not an intent to end yeah, the play. Yeah, no, no, it was a it was a bad call by the ref. Yeah, but go figure. It's that it's that extra layer to what he's doing that gives me hope for durability for him. Because a year ago, before this whole season even started, he didn't have that awareness to avoid the hit. Well, Hell, early last year he was lead blocking for guys on reverses and stuff. And it's just like man. Well, but that I win the war. Yeah, and I. I don't know if it was a lack of awareness or a lack of trust. I don't think he trusted everybody around him yet. And so he was going to get what he could get because we needed it because I can't yeah. count on you, 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 or you. But then as time went on, he realized, oh, wait. And maybe some of that was out of necessity because of the injury he suffered against Louisville. And at that point, it probably flashed before his eyes. I could have another lost season. I, I, I'm hurt, you know, and at that, you could tell by his reaction, he thought he was really hurt. Luckily, he wasn't. He was just dinged. But he thought he was really hurt. He, he didn't think in that moment he'd be playing the next Saturday like he did. So, but that's enough. Sometimes you just need that awakening, that moment, right? And then you're like, okay, well, you know what? I, I've got some time. I could throw the ball here, and I've got playmakers now in a way I didn't have. And more than that, he began to trust that offensive line. I don't know how he was yesterday at practice. You were there. I was not. He was, he was good. It's fine. The consistent level of high play that I've seen every time I'm out there is it's remarkable. It's worth remarking on is, is what I mean to say, because, again, we gloss over the good players and we want to find out about the deaf pieces, the new guys, the freshmen. Mm -hmm. the spring is it's fun for that reason. But the throws that Jordan is making routinely in practice are not just outside the number deep shots like he did last year, like he did in fall camp and spring camp last year. He's starting to throw dimes over the middle. He's starting to show that ability it in the pocket of how to create time with subtle movements, climbing, sidestepping, not flushing, not panicking. His game is getting even more rounded into form. And spring, sometimes spring you can't tell when something's happening. You can see it in the spring. There's enough evidence out there. You, Man, he's adding more clubs to the bag, so to speak, more shots to the bag. He is. I, it's funny. I see the dad guys comment here, and that brings me to something I did want to bring up. And, and I have a way while we think about what's possible for this team. I did an interview yesterday. I was on in, in uh, Atlanta and other markets with Chuck Oliver. And he was talking about he projects that Florida State is, it could be a college football playoff team. And he said he's had pushback. Other, other fans of programs around the country are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. A little, little quick, don't you think, to be projecting Florida State to be a playoff team? Go ahead. All right. I always get interested when you go on with Chuck because he always asks an in-the-weeds question. He does. Did he ask about Dre Jacobs? He did not. And I, I was kind of stunned. I he did. loves freshman studs. Yeah, you know? he does. He does. I thought Van Dre was Jacobs. No, no. He, uh, what are you hearing down there? 
yeah, he may <laughs> he made me laugh. He asked about certain players, but he didn't really. He asked about Verse and he asked about some other guys, but he, he was projecting Florida State's continued development and wanted to know where I was at in regards to that. I talked about the tight end room being better and amongst other things and the defense, the interior of the defensive line in particular being uh, a strength for this team. You know, I think it's going to be. Uh, but when I hung up, when we got done talking, I thought a little bit about these sky-high expectations um, that we have for Florida State. I, I think every day that goes by and we report on the spring you know, practice that we just watched and the development of certain players and the additions of others, like all day Dre, and you get excited about Kirkland and guys like that that you see and you go, oh, man, they got something there. To go along with all the other players, it gets to a point where, you, you again, you want to check yourself and say, what is a reasonable expectation? What should we be expecting? And it's okay, in my mind, to certainly say with any degree of confidence that you want, that you think Florida State should contend for, if not win, the ACC. I agree with that. I do agree with that. I think they should. You look, Vegas agrees with it. The odds are right there along with Clemson to win the conference, which pisses Clemson fans off. They're coming out of the woodwork. What is this nonsense? That's right. You finally have some competition. You've been watching it. We went from getting our doors blown off to having it a little bit closer to now it's been eked out. Now, they, they controlled last year's game better than the score indicated. I think I think uh, that Clemson did. We did run the ball on them, though. We and sure it, as hell it, did. It turned out to be a precursor to what everybody else did, too. They yep. ran the ball on them. Yep. Surprisingly. And the draft will lead to that discussion, too, because they have two guys that are going to go in the first round on that defensive line, and people are going to wonder what the hell was going on. But back to my point. Oh, that sack fumble. Yeah, I know. But, but back to my point here now, which is that I think you begin to, if you're going to dream big and you're going to ask yourself, what would derail a great season? Well, you would start at quarterback, wouldn't you? You'd have to start with... Knock on wood, this doesn't happen, of course. I'm just having a larger discussion discussion about areas of strength, weakness, depth, lack of. If Jordan did get hurt, uh, do you feel good about what would have to happen from that point forward? Do you think Tate Rodemaker could lead this team to an ACC championship? Say he had to start six games. We could get to Charlotte. Which six, right, Jeff? Which six games is he going to have to play? And that's a that's a toughie. I don't know, man. I don't love as currently constructed. I don't love that room. I like the potential of it, but in a right here, right now, we got to win because we're good all around you. Do you feel good about that? I'd say not really. I feel okay. I feel okay. I don't feel good. That's one area. Linebackers. I keep saying it, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. We feel good there? No. No, we don't. Currently, I don't. I think we're thin there, and I don't think we're elite there with the guys we do have. I think we're okay. A couple guys I feel good about, but not great. And really, when the further down we go, the more I get like, oh, that, that ain't it. we got to do better than that if you're a championship-level team. That's, again, if you're a championship-level team. And that's what I'm weighing this against, championship. Not good. They're good. They're going to be good, period. They're going to be a good football team. Florida State's going to be good. Really good, if you'd like, if that makes you feel better. Really good. 
I'm doing the weigh-in as it pertains to a championship-level team. So that, so when you hear me say that, don't think I'm just taking shots at kids. I'm saying he's not an elite, whatever that player might be that I'm describing, linebacker in this case. We don't have any elite linebackers on this team. We don't. Not one. Nicholson could turn out to be one. We'll see. He get here in the fall. That's a lot to ask for a freshman. Are we elite in the secondary? Adam Fuller doesn't think so right now. He's a little frustrated. His comments seem to suggest as much, right? He's not getting what he wants to get out of that secondary, out of the safeties in particular. Now, they may come around. They may take that challenge and, and do something. There was two pick off, two interceptions yesterday. I asked Mike Norvell after practice yesterday because he talked about the emphasis on creating turnovers. And he said that Coach Sertan has put an emphasis being more purposeful in trying to create turnovers. I circled back after he said that and said, well, how? How do you do that? How do you create turnovers? Because my thought process was turnover luck is a thing. It's real. Guy fumbles. Do you get it or you're not? Well, I mean, that's lucky. You happen to be in position or not. Right. Your interception count goes up as your pass rush gets better. Right. It doesn't have necessarily to do much with the technique of the defensive back if it's going to hit him in the chest because the quarterback's scared of Jared Verse. But I wanted to know what he thought, like, what are these intentional things you're doing? And I said beyond down and distance leverage. Because obviously creating third and long is one way to create more turnovers. You're going to get a pass rush. You're going to get strip sacks. You're going to get all these things, tip passes. You're going to, you know, guys are going to jump routes because they know that it's third and eight and you got to throw it past here. So, you know, these are the things that are going to happen because I don't know that it's teachable. You know, this is the stuff that's argued about amongst football fans, analysts, and coaches. Is it teachable? You just suddenly make somebody better at creating turnovers beyond down and distance leverage? They seem contagious, though. I know that that's kind of a nonsense idea, but, I mean, how many teams have we seen in college and pros that – the first month of the season, they're leading the league in turnovers and defensive touchdowns, and it just seems to play out that way the entirety of the season. The, the champion Bucks are an example in 2 The Saints were an example. The Saints were an excellent example of that because metric defensive metric-wise, they weren't great. A recent Cowboys team with Trayvon Diggs, that team, that defense was okay. Yeah, he just. Yeah. But damn it, if they didn't come down with every chance they had at a pick. He, he took a lot of chances. He did? Okay. <laughs> the uh, Aaron Rodgers' uh, only Super Bowl team. Yeah. That team was, I mean, a turnover factory. They and it played was the with the whole, lead a lot. Yeah. The whole year. That that helps. Of course mm -hmm. it does. I the think that helps. So I think that's going to happen this year. I think Florida State will get more turnovers this year for two very specific reasons. They're going to have the lead a lot. Uh, maybe, maybe a sizable lead quite often. And obviously then teams become one-dimensional. They're going to be ahead of the chains a lot. It's going to be third, five, or more a lot for opposing offenses because I don't think you're going to line up and run the ball on this team. So if you can get a stop on first down and we're in second and ten, away we go. They ought to create a lot more turnovers. They have different looks they can provide on defense. They've got better personnel, deeper personnel. So now I'm not asking a guy for 55 snaps. I'm asking him for 27. Bust your ass for these 27 snaps. Uh, there's a guy that's going to replace you. He's just as good as you, and he'll bust his. But all of these things should add to more turnovers. I just don't know that there's a, a thing you're teaching that creates these turnovers. Rather, you have better depth, and you're playing from ahead. I agree with you. I think the only thing you could do is teach technique better. 
and that puts you in position to make plays more often, and the more often you're in a position to make a play, the more often you will make the play. Yeah, and I think Lord knows they will be better from a technical standpoint. I teed that up for you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> they will be better. Technique will be improved. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. <laughs> Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day, and I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se, and I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, it had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit, and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's Athletic Greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. And I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon-neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. It's athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Jeff Cameron show rolling on. Gainesville Noel responded here. I want to I want to respond to to this as well. He said it's taught Jeff taught to punch it out. Yes, I'm aware of techniques about punching the football out. They did that a year ago. They did it the year before that. They did it. All defenses teach that. It's one of their first four periods. I'm sure we they, have tons of footage on Warchant. They do it every single day. Um, taught to get your head around when the receiver's eyes get big. Yep, these are things you learn in high school. I agree. Taught to read the route combinations. Yeah, I mean, having the ability, I mean, if you if you watch Saban teach a master class on this online, um, to do all of those things help. But 
I was assuming as much, and I'm not trying to be a, an ass here, uh, Gainesville. No, they do all of those things uh, already. And these are the things that defenses uh, try to instill or defensive coaches try to instill in their players. And a lot of that stuff is done in high school. Uh, if you play at a big school or you've got good coaches, that, that a lot of these things do happen. Well, yeah, pattern matching and route concepts. That's seven-on-seven seven stuff, too, because... Yeah, and pattern matching is, at least when I played, was not taught way back in the 80s and early 90s. It is more now. There are a lot of things online. You can watch Saban being one of those with the pattern matching. Alabama was one of the first to to really do it well. Sadly, that's been at Alabama now for 15 years. Time. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that is all true. Um, I just thought above and beyond the ones that are fairly standard, I was curious to see what Mike would say about what Patrick Sertan is teaching that may, may be different. Now, technique is a big part of this, and that's the part that you noted here. Better technique that puts you in a better position. Yes. Um, without question. And they weren't always playing with better technique and good technique uh, a year ago. And I, I brought that up last year on the air. Talked about that. It frustrated me. There are things you can see, you can glean from just watching those games, and that is very frustrating. But I didn't um I, I don't I don't I haven't seen anything yet from from Patrick Sertan. Not not saying not not saying that uh he's not teaching them anything. I just haven't we, we haven't watched a game yet, you know, obviously, and I haven't been able to see a scrimmage yet either. So I'm I am curious to see if these things play out and there is an uh, an onus, a point of emphasis. Something along those lines where you're like, okay, this is this is there, and he, he you're you're talking about putting stern emphasis on these concepts. Sure. Um. Yeah, maybe just having it be top of mind. That's a good way of saying it. I mean, having that instilled, drilled, and to a place where it becomes uh, second nature. I think then then therefore you can absolutely um, expect to see. Uh, maybe better results. But they're just going to get better results also because they're going to have a pass rush. They're going to be better able to disguise their defenses, and they're going to have people in obvious passing situations. So it's going to be time and again where you get these opportunities. What I am curious about, I think some of what we're talking about with creating turnovers, oddly, if you if you are teaching technique and pattern reading and pattern matching and all those things that we're talking about, I do think that some of it's confidence to make a play. Some of it is, is trust in the guy next to you uh, to do what he's supposed to do, where you can take an educated guess or a calculated risk that isn't catastrophic um, based on obvious context clues, but also you know the understanding that if I, if I seek to jump this because the last three, third and six or more, they've thrown this, and they're aligned in a way that suggests that's exactly what's coming. Um, they're not throwing a long, they're not throwing a deep ball here. They're not throwing a slow developing route because we've been able to get pressure all day long. I'm jumping this bitch and we're going to the hizzy. That is fun to do, but you've got to have everything working together and you have to have unbelievable confidence and belief that that is going to play out the way that you think it is. There's a great example of that in the Green Bay Packers trip to Tampa a couple of years back. Rodgers has a Amazing drive to start the game. Does the discount, double check, whatever. They're up 7 nothing. He throws picks back-to-back 
early in that game, and then he checks out mentally. Like mm-hmm. He quits on the field. Yeah. One of those was by Jamel Dean. It was a throw to the left sideline. And Dean said after the game, well, I knew we were bringing pressure, so there's no way that he's he could get the deep. ball down yeah. the field. I could just jump the first move that I know see. What, you got to know what's going on. Know the situation. Yeah, but you got to believe you can get home as well. Right. That's the other thing. If it's Devin White from a couple of years ago and he's blitzing, it's going to work. I mean, it's going to yeah, work. Yeah. He won't make the tackle, but he will influence the throw. Correct. <laughs> but, you know, and, and at that point, you had JPP, who was still in, in good shape, and Shaq Barrett was uh, 100% healthy as well. Yeah. That's, Very different looking defense. But that's the thing about the pressure here. Why I say all that is, is to bring up the pressure issue with FSU. A lot of times our pressures that we dial up take forever to get home, and they don't. You could think about an example yeah, in the well, Clemson game where it is pitiful. The pressure that we bring from oh, the right it's side. Oh, so of, obvious. And every, yes. It's from the offense's right. It doesn't get home. It's a whiff, and it's a deep shot over our head. You can't make a jump right now or at least last season, you couldn't jump that route and expect that the ball is going to be thrown short because we don't consistently close on those plays. you got to have better finishers if you're going to bring more pressures with linebackers and safeties and corners. Well, and finishers. I don't think they're going to have to. This is the thing I'm most excited about. I think this is another thing that lets the defense take a big, big, big step forward is that they're not going to have to be exotic. They're not going to have to bring a bunch of different types of pressure. They're going to get pressure from their front four. They're going to get it. You're going to have a collapse of the interior. They're going to reset the offense, uh, the line of scrimmage. You're going to have guys at quarterback's feet because you can be dominant in the middle. That's going to create some one-on-ones on the outside because they can't double. And these guys are going to win those one-on-ones. If Patrick Payton keeps taking a step forward and getting better, and if Verse has the kind of year we think he's going to have, you you really, I mean, between Daryl Jackson and Fabo and obviously Farmer. Farmer has had an unbelievable camp. He was good again yesterday. Oh, my God, there was a play yesterday. He's he just destroyed an offensive line, decleated him, and just drove his ass into the backfield. It was embarrassing. Uh, it happens, but I mean, I felt terrible for the kid. I was like, oh, good God, that's emasculating. Did you? Yeah, I, I did. I actually did because it was everybody saw it. It was in a drill. We're like, oh Jesus, but it'll yeah, happen. A player like forty four or Patrick Payton on the edge, they're going to get so many opportunities to close this. Yeah. Year. By the way, that's another area that we're not terribly deep at, though. Demons been with with McClendon leaving. We're not we're not as deep as I'd like us to be there either. If we're gonna nitpick again about championship mm-hmm. level football, you, you can't have guys get hurt there. Not one of those key two. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you can mess around with the interior of the defensive line, or sorry, the interior of the offensive line by putting athletic defensive tackles in the middle and maybe get some pressure there. That can offset. Yeah, not being terribly deep at defensive end. I also think I might be in the minority here, but I think if you needed him in a pinch as a specialist, Lamont Green is quick enough as a freshman that if that's his only job, see Matthew Thomas, different position, I get it, but Matthew Thomas is a true freshman in that championship season. He got hurt, but remember, through the first three games, he's like, well, that guy just has a knack for getting around the edge or doing whatever he needs to do. You might have a couple of specialists there, but you don't want them out there on third and six. You could trust Patrick Payton and Jared Verse to be out there in third and six or third and four. It's no big deal. Yeah, I, I maybe he's really thin. It's okay if you're if it's third and twelve and you're a little yeah. thin at defensive end. Why go out yeah. there and see what you can do, man? Yeah. You're just faster than the other guy. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. That's true. That's true. Can't can't do that if you need anything else. But uh, yeah, he's got to get a lot bigger. But he will. He will. He's, he's going to work hard. And he's already got. You know, you've already seen the ability. Why people like him? We don't ask setup man to start 
baseball games. You know? Well, we do. We do these days. The Rays ask. <laughs> the Rays ask. Yeah. They're not asking for six innings out of them. No. Give me, give me one. Give me an opener. Give me the, give me the moment. Uh, speaking of day baseball, there's a game on right now, and the Buccos lead one to nothing in the sixth, looking for the sweep of the Boston Red Sox in Ooh. Boston. Have you reminded Christy about that at all? Yeah, we watched it together last night, a four to one triumph of the Pittsburgh Pirates in dominating fashion. In fact, since a shootout in the first inning of game one of the series, which saw both teams hit multiple home runs in game one, in inning number one, the Pirates have held the Boston Red Sox to 20-something straight innings of whole lot of nothing. Get you some. Sounds like my squad up in Milwaukee. First two days, 19 to nothing combined. It'll hurt your feelings. Yeah, it will. Better limber up, Milwaukee. That won't raise your jolly, Roger. No, that'll hurt your feelings. Uh, this is a Mitch Keller start, so I am encouraged. Not just screwing Mitch Keller. That's right. Old Mitch is, uh, went five, gave him one hit, struck out six. Suck it. Now, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we could lose the game. We could lose the game. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, Tom. A lot of baseball left. And to after be all, they are the Pirates. Uh, yeah, that's right. Soon to be the four and two Pirates. But uh, just let's just slow our roll and all that disrespect. <laughs> I'm just going by what you tell me that they are they are. <laughs> Uh, it's fair. Uh, it's it's fair. Uh, I do want to. There is a, a couple of uh, cool things to to note about uh, baseball. I got asked this question, and I was baseball's on the mind of some folks, and there were a lot of questions about time of games and all this good stuff. So yesterday, Tom, there were fourteen games played. Fourteen games played yesterday. Not one of them went three hours. Not a single one. Holy moly. I, I, has that ever happened in the history of baseball? I know, I know that one of them was an hour 57. The average of the 14 games played yesterday was two hours and 53 minutes. And you did have our first sub two-hour game of the season yesterday. Uh, Manny Machado got ejected uh, for not being in the box and alert on time, and he got upset. And get the hell up out of here! First inning, three-two count. Wasn't alert to the pitcher when the clock was down to eight seconds. The umpire called an automatic strike. You go sit your ass, Machado. Not happy about it, and that's what happens. Update on stolen bases, okay? Because this is going to be a thing now. Yep. Base runners on Tuesday were 17 of 22 attempting to steal bases, a more modest 77% success rate. So on the year, we're at 83%. Ooh. Now, I believe the career record for success rate is like 86. The record. Okay, so this is just so people know what we're gauging. All right. Here's. Basically, stolen base success rates were moving upward over the last several years. It wasn't just this stretch, okay? The top seasons since dead ball era for stolen base percentage, Tom, you ready? These are the top seasons ever. 2021, 2022, <laughs> 2020, in that order. 75.7% on the season in 2021. 
75.4% in 2022, 75.2% in 2020. Before that, you got to go back to 2007 with 74.4%. Be interesting to see what was going on in 2007. Yesterday was 77%. Maybe it's Pesednik that was helping run up the numbers. So, again, yesterday was 77%. That's less than two full percentage points above yeah. what has been the norm the last two years in baseball. People can live with that. They are trying to get people to run. They I, want you to run. They do, and and that's fine to incentivize it. I would wager that we could get to the All-Star break this year and there were probably would be more successful stolen bases this year than in any of those other years. I, I, the prevalence of it, I think, is that much higher. Well, you brought up something yesterday, so I went back and looked it up, and this is true. So in the 80s, in the mid to late 80s, and I remember this. I watched that era. You weren't born yet. I was watching. They stole bases like it was their job because it was. They did. Everybody stole bases. It was nuts. Now, the thing is, they were also thrown out at a high rate because they stole all the time. They were willing to take the risk. The home run didn't rule the game. Right, right. So, you know, it's interesting. Lou Brock stole 118 bases in 1974. He was caught 33 times. The stolen base rate that year for the league was terrible. 64%. Everybody got thrown the hell out. Even Lou Brock got thrown the hell out, but he kept going. Stole 118. <laughs> yeah, the all-time record is 86.4%, and that's Beltron. And the second is Tim Raines. Woo! 80, Rock Raines was fast as hell. 84.7, I believe. 84 plus percent. So Ricky Henderson didn't have a year where he stole? No, a career. This oh, is, this okay. Is career. Yeah. So Ricky got caught at, you know, I'm sure he's probably like 82%. I haven't looked it up as a list, but those are the top two. It'd be pretty funny uh, to ask Ricky Henderson about it because he would tell you that Ricky just wasn't getting a good jump that year. <laughs> we'll come back, wrap it up with probables in a moment. Jeff <laughs> Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio War Chant TV It almost happened in 1907 but for Winton the long ship cannon requested a wad of dip from a lad in the bleachers <laughs> Oh man so before we get to probables, you got picks for the Masters? I do. I've got picks, man. A couple of sleepers out there. Corey Connors. That it's not much of a sleeper, about. though. I think a lot of people know Corey can. But if you look at the futures and the odds mm. on, on winning the tournament or even top 10, he's 4-1 to one to finish top 10. His last two Masters, tied 10th, tied 6th. 4-1 to one odds to finish top 10. I think that's a great value. Michael Collins put it more concisely than I could about Tommy Fleetwood. He said that there's one place that you can tune up in earnest for Augusta, and that is at the Valspar mm -hmm. down in Palm Harbor. Uh, Fleetwood finished third, and last year he had a career best tie for 14th at the Masters. He's made the cut five out of six times at Augusta. So those are two good sleeper picks. I took Tommy Fleetwood in one of my uh, DraftKings lineups. There you go. For that very reason. Jason Day is probably one to consider as well. I have Jason Day in that same lineup. 
Uh, I've got several of these lineups that I've gone through and, and picked for DraftKings and some that I'm also in with my, my overall pool, um, the illegal one. That one is my favorite one. And, you know, it's not so – so you want to guess the order? I bet you can. Guess the order with which the first four players were taken and who was taken in that first four. Oh, God. So uh, Scheffler won, obviously. Yeah, Scheffler won. I'll go Rory two. Correct. Rom three. Would have been, but I took a flyer on Justin Thomas, and I had third pick. Ooh, I feel okay. good about him. Now, this is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. I was listening to No Laying Up this week, and they said on the grounds, the word around things is that he's got a hip issue. Oh, sweet Jesus. Through. Now, hey, man. God. Tigers won a U.S. Open on one leg, and he won in 2019. Yeah, Tigers, with Tiger, Justin's five foot nothing, hundred nothing. He hit a good shot on 12 today when I was watching the practice round on ESPN. He had a 10 foot putt. I need him to not have a hip issue. Sweet Jesus! I was surprised that they divulged that in passing in the Masters preview. Word around the, the inside the ropes is that he's got a hip issue. Way to lose uh, your source there, guy. Yeah, Justin Thomas. Well, that, they may be doing that for Justin. He's been on the show several times. That might be a, we know you're hurt. Uh, Rom went fourth because I took Thomas. And then uh, it went Day, Spieth, Cantley, Morikawa, Shoffley, Finaus, Cam Smith, and uh, Corey Connors, Sung J.M. Connors. Oh, we got to do probables, don't we? Do we have time? Did I even? Skipping the intro. <laughs> have it ready. How much time do I have? Give me, give me the seconds. Give me the minute. What do uh, I got? You have ninety seconds. McClanahan starting for the Rays. Phillies, Yanks, they're underway. Aaron Nola, Garrett Cole. We're gonna skip to the Pirates, who are leading the Red Sox two to nothing. Mitch Keller started. Corey Kluber. Not just screwing Mitch Keller. Mets Brewers, that was Peterson and Corbin Burns. We're gonna skip to the uh, later games. Guardians, Athletics, Hunter Gaddis, Angels. Mariners, Shohei Atani, gotta watch it. Chris Flexen, Blue Jays, Royals, Alex Manoa, Alec Manoa, Zach Grinky, and tonight, Cubs, Reds, that's been postponed. Braves, by the way, you guys are in the seventh. It's Bryce Elder and Miles Mikolas. Yes. Good work out of you. Good work, Director Matthew. Be well, everybody. Have a great night. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.